Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mishana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Envision Together. I am so excited to have Tom Glazier with us today. We're going to jump right in and have him tell us a little more about himself so we can know about him personally, professionally, whatever you want to share. Pamela, thank you so much for having me. What a, what a pleasure You're welcome. to be here. I know that you put a lot of thought to these. I'm so excited to, to <laughs> dig in. So I'll be, I'll be probably kind of brief. Who am I? What am I? I I'm, I'm so many things, right? Like we all are mm-hmm. an animal lover, a father, a husband. Uh, I love to be outdoors. I've just taken up pickleball. Those are some little things about me in terms of kind of professionally. Um, I'm a life coach and a psychologist. So I do psychotherapy. I work a lot with trauma survivors and trauma mm-hmm. survivors partners. And I work often with highly sensitive people as mm-hmm. well. Let's see, I do some teaching on the side about Maitri, which is a form of mindful self-compassion and coping with life as a highly sensitive person. I am one myself, which which is how that interest came to be. But basically, I feel like I'm like a student of life. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm here to learn and experience and grow. Okay, a student of life. A lot of people say I'm a student for life. I like that, a student of life. I think I'm I'm both a student of life <laughs> and a student for life. <laughs> yeah, isn't that truth? Yeah, it never stops. The learning yeah. never stops if we're open to it. It's so true. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing uh, so much about yourself. So we're going to just jump in now to dig into our questions. So during a recent conversation, you told me that early in life, you didn't believe you were smart and you had poor self-esteem. What do you think contributed to the development of that mindset? And by the way, that's something we share. So I may interject here or there. Oh, please do. (laughs) Please do. I would love Mm -hmm. that, Pamela. Gosh, so let's see. I think to some degree, I absorbed that from my mom. My my mom had, uh, I think she was ashamed that she had just very little education beyond her high school diploma. She had some, a tiny bit of college here and there. I think she was always embarrassed that that was true and felt a little threatened that education was a high priority in our family of value. And so all of us, you know, ended up having, you know, degrees uh, beyond high school. And I, I feel like that's a piece of it, but more it was, I thought if I were smarter, I would not have been subjected to some of the ways I was treated that were traumatic there isn't really a rational explanation for that. Right. But I, so what I'm speaking of there is several things in school, starting in junior high and, and into high school, I was 
call it teasing. You see, I hesitate even as I begin to, I start to say I was teased mercilessly, but to call it teasing would, it's not naming it. I was verbally abused. I was called fag. I wasn't like manly enough and publicly just humiliated. And I never knew when that was going to happen. Beyond that in the household. So a really mixed growing up experience in the family, a really beautiful, wonderful family in so many ways, mm-hmm. you know, stable. Uh, my parents stayed together. Uh, they weren't divorced, but there was way too much alcohol consumption in, in the household. And my mom had a huge anger issue and took it out on us kids and called us mm-hmm. names. So not physical abuse. If we didn't wash the dishes right, if we didn't put the dishes in the exact right place where she wanted them to be, she could fly off the handle like this. And I'm not talking just yelling Mm. and apologizing for it later. Like, oh my God, I had a bad moment. It was going for the jugular. You're awful. How could you possibly do that? Tore my self-esteem to shreds. So the combination of that kind of eruptivity, if that's a word, at home. And in school, I never knew. You never knew when either of these events could occur. I thought, you know, as children do, I thought I must be to blame somehow. I was doing something wrong or these things wouldn't happen. And somehow I thought if I were smarter, I'd be able to think my way out of it or figure out the right. I think that's it. No, there it is. See, it's coming to me as I speak. I could figure out. If I were smarter, I would figure out a way to make these things not happen. Now, so you a, thought you weren't smart because you couldn't figure out how to make these things better. Okay, I see you You feed that back to me like that. And I get sad for myself. You're right. Yes, wow. that's exactly right. But from the adult me, I'm like, how sad is that? Yeah. It's, it's silly. It's not rational. It is how I tried to think I might have some control mm-hmm. over a situation that I actually didn't have control over. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I really can't pinpoint exactly where or what thing in life caused me to start thinking that I'm not that smart other than uh, I remember when I first started school, I didn't show up at school with the language of school. My grandmother and mother, they're from the South. So kind of grew up with a, it's a Southern draw, but it's also some broken English. And I went to school not knowing I didn't speak the way they expected me to. And I think they weren't very skilled at dealing with it either, because what it did is make me, made me withdraw. I didn't want to speak. It made me shy. And all of this, I internalized as not smart. Well, I think that's one of the things. I don't think that's the only right. thing. Yeah. But listening to you, I think that's my earliest memory of trying mm. to pinpoint when I felt somehow academically or intellectually inadequate. And then as years progress, I was well behaved. There's I mean, you have excellent teachers and then you have horrible <laughs> teachers. Let's yes. just go ahead and say it. And you know what? Horrible teachers don't always come in the package of They were mean or something like that. Some of them, they just, they let me just slip through the cracks. I remember sometime in elementary, I overheard a teacher saying that he's passing me because I'm well-behaved. Ooh, well, that's such a cop-out and actually trying to teach me. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And make sure I know the concepts. (laughs) Totally. 
I had so many gaps in my learning that, I mean, as I got older, it was clear to me that I felt that I wasn't smart because it was information that I really couldn't come up with. I didn't have the goods. We share that in common. (laughs) I can relate to what you're saying about withdrawing. That's, that's a strategy I took as well. If I'm just quiet, if I kind of pull back, if I don't say very much, maybe people won't notice me. Right. And then my mom won't erupt or, or these people won't make fun of me. If I disappear, yeah. Trying to hide in plain sight. <laughs> Trying to hide in plain sight. I wanted the walls to absorb me, me so that I could just too. get through and get out of there. And that's that's not good for the self-esteem either, right? Because then I'm not contributing. I'm, I'm not uh, taking risks. I'm not trying my voice out. I, I learned to be really quiet. And yeah. um, you even experienced that when we first talked, when we tried to set up this appointment. <laughs> it's right? so true. You, 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 you had to kind of draw some things out of me. Right. That's, and that was that's... funny to me because I'm like, I was thinking about you're a therapist, but you're kind of holding back. And in your profession, people open up to you and they yes. feel comfortable opening up to you or you wouldn't yes. be successful at what Correct. you do. So it was right. kind of a, I wouldn't say a role reversal, but that was an interesting aha moment. We both kind of, you mentioned it first, which gave me license to say, yeah, I did yeah. catch that. Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> honestly, if you hadn't mentioned it, I'm not sure that I would have. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but, um. But guess what? We all do that. We all show up differently in different circumstances. And even though we know we're smart now and we're professional, there's still some struggles. But I think my struggles have turned a little more positive, if that makes any sense. I think it's healthy to have a little bit of, I'm going to say fear, keep you on your toes, but but not that paralyzing uh, fear. Yes. Exactly. I've learned to cope and I think you have to. <laughs> totally, totally. So a little bit do. of a, adrenaline helps mm-hmm. us, right? Mm-hmm. So, right. That helps us keep us on our toes. <laughs> we can perform yeah. better with just, just the right amount of adrenaline pumping in our bloodstream. But right. right. Not that paralyzing thing. No, that, that's not so helpful. Yeah. So we also previously touched on the principle of being humble. Mm. I remember that being something that made me say, hmm, I want to, I want to, go more here. It was so instilled in you, in me, that in some ways it may have hindered our ability to walk in a healthy self-confidence. So let's peel that back a little bit. The whole being humble thing. I think there's a positive, obviously there's a positive version of that, but I think there's a way we can interpret it that's not so healthy. Let's talk about that. Exactly, right? These are not black or white issues at all. I love the value of humility. I'm Mm -hmm. really turned off as many of us are by people who all they do is talk about themselves, Mm -hmm. right? That's going too far in the other direction, right? Right. Really finding the middle road. So this comes really from my dad, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And from a good place in my dad, my dad was very humble, you know, grew up in the Catholic church. I was raised Catholic and he really took those lessons of the church and, and I, from his family, too, of valuing humility to heart, but, but to an extreme. So here's a, here's a kind of a silly example. Uh, we were the first people to get central air conditioning in my neighborhood. And my dad said, I was in fifth grade, or maybe it was sixth, don't tell anyone, right? That would be bragging. And I, like I told one person, I told my best friend at the time, Steve, Steve Christensen, that's just one example. 
don't brag, don't brag, don't brag. So yes, there's some good in that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I heard my dad say that in so many ways. I took it to this extreme that I never like, like I I might get a really good grade on a project at school and I wouldn't tell anyone Mm. because that would be bragging. Mm-hmm. I thought like I, my child's mind, I interpret it, it way too literally. That's not good to not celebrate my successes with somebody else is not good for my self-esteem. And then, and I rob other people then of knowing me and celebrating my successes with me. It's not good for my relationships. And it's either. even robbing you of feeling good about yourself in some way. Correct. Especially and I a kid who was already feeling um, yes. bad about Himself. Exactly. I I could have used it, right? Mm. Yeah. So so we, we, we have to be really careful with how we teach these really important lessons. Again, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you teach your kid that they're the greatest thing ever, right? Right. Because that creates problems of its own mm-hmm. too. But but that you really see a child, you recognize their contributions, their gifts, right? And you help them just become who they are. This was an impediment. (laughs) Telling me to be so humble was an impediment to me finding ways to express myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm kind of amazed that I've kind of come to the other side. A lot of people never do. That's the sad thing, right? We meet people who are hiding under a bushel Mm -hmm. and it's not doing the world any good. That's the other thing. If if we don't have a sense of our light, uh, we're not bringing our full true selves. You know, what's so interesting is that People who are overly confident, and and that's saying it nicely, uh, arrogant, arrogant and prideful. What I find is that's the biggest show of insecurity that ever did exist. Because you feel the need to say, I'm this, I'm that, and show the world I'm this, I'm that, tooting your horn to the extent that you're revealing that you're not okay with yourself. Because when you're truly confident and truly grounded, you actually don't find it necessary to say all of that stuff. In fact, you have an eye to look out for people and help build them up as well. Now, for me, I believe being humble is a beautiful concept and something I aspire to be, um, as I know you do. But I do believe that we sometimes can interpret it the wrong way. And people, feel uncomfortable even accepting a compliment Mm -hmm. to me that's a false humility it's not a real true humble stance it's just something weird actually well again it becomes a block it's a block you compliment them they say no 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 not true Mm -mm." Mm -hmm. and then you're like then you feel distance that's that doesn't serve anybody And why can't it be true? Why isn't it okay to celebrate yourself as long as it's not that overboard, prideful stance? It's okay. So I had to learn at a certain point, it's okay to say I'm good at something. It's okay to say I'm smart. Do you know what a big feat that was in my life to say I'm smart after living Mm -hmm. half of my life believing I'm not smart? When the other day I complimented someone and I said, you're so cute. And the person said, I know it. And, (laughs) you know, for that person, that was no show at all of arrogance or pride. In fact, I celebrated the moment of that person saying that they need to acknowledge more positive things about themselves. So 
It's just so interesting, these topics. Yeah. But we will move on because okay. honestly, we could talk about stuff like that forever. That could probably. be a whole show. Yes. <laughs> so at a certain point, you began to believe in yourself. You have achieved in your field at high levels. Uh, what helped you transition? So many things. I would say psychotherapy, my own psychotherapy as a client really okay. helped you know, working through some of those things I touched on earlier, the, the trauma, those, those in, deeply instilled beliefs. Me too. I have a therapist today and it's like the best thing ever. And it's so interesting because you have to find the right fit because I was almost giving up on it. Yeah. But I hear friends say what a wonderful experience they were having and it made me try again. But oh, anyway, I, I jumped in too soon. <laughs> oh, no, please. I love it. I'm so happy. And finding more and more people who love and appreciate me and listening to them. So when they would mm-hmm. say good things about me, not going into that impulse, which might be to, we were just talking about this, to deny it, to let it in, to mm-hmm. to very slowly go, oh, maybe I do have something here. And, 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 and to kind of consider it and listen mm-hmm. and say, wow, thank you for saying that. And might that be true? And, and just over time, playing with it. And then two, I would say having success in my career, that really helped So over time, my skills grew as a therapist, and Mm -hmm. I could just tell people were getting better. I could tell that we were having really powerful, I I call them magical moments Mm -hmm. in therapy, where I could see something that we did together, or I said, made a big difference in their life. I could just see it on their face, their whole body would change. And then over time, their behavior would change for the better. Mm -hmm. And they made long lasting change. And I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm not taking full credit for that at all. I take a <laughs> tiny little bit of credit. I had this mm-hmm. tiny little part. And even that, let me say this, Pamela, my, my work as a psychotherapist, it isn't egotistical. It isn't me being brilliant. It's like, I'm just in the moment with them. And I kind of open, I'm more like a channel. It's like, there's stuff beyond. I don't know where it comes from. Something needs to be said in this way. And it comes to me and mm-hmm. I follow my intuition and I say it. That ain't me. That is not me. That I'm a little teeny part in helping someone. Oh my gosh, that helps me feel better. No, I understand the way you explain that, but what I call it is God. Yeah, I, I believe that when I'm in conversations, whether I'm at work or uh, at home, or even in a conversation like this, sometimes I get thoughts and ideas that I mm-hmm. think are larger than me. Yes. and I just feel like God is giving me a little yes. gift. And see, I think that plays in the humility, too, in in terms of I can acknowledge when maybe I've tapped into God's wisdom or something like that. And I'm saying or sharing a thought that just never even entered my mind. And I'm seeing people respond in a way positively, sometimes in a way it seems like they're getting healed or they're having a certain epiphany. And that comes with listening very well, connecting and being open. Totally in the moment. And Mm -hmm. we might be getting to this later. Authenticity, right? That's a moment where we are so authentic. We're not in our heads. We're Mm -hmm. we're just in the moment. We're we're fully with the other person. And then we're we're inspired. Yeah. And they get inspired. And then then it's this feedback loop. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? And I see it on your face. See, it's exactly. just it's kind of happening right now. You're smiling, <laughs> that, that beautiful, full smile that's unadulterated. It's unplanned. 
mm-hmm. it just comes up and we both light up. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's the best. I love it. She gives me chills. <laughs> And it's like being in your zone. And to me, that's one of the things when you know you've tapped into something you're good at, something you're gifted and talented to do. And it's okay with acknowledging that. I believe God has given us all gifts and talents. And it's never better than when you're walking and aligned in that area. And that's when work is no longer work. It's fun. Exactly. <laughs> and the flow. Tell us how your life took a turn and led you down the path of observing what you call happy people. It happened actually from the unhappiest period of my own adult life, mm. Pamela. So I had my dream job. I was going to retire at this job. I couldn't wait to get up every morning and go to this job uh, for seven years. That's how it was. And I was, I was attached. I was going to stay at this job until a new coworker turned up and we were like oil and water, if that's mm. the right uh, metaphor. <laughs> this person couldn't stand me. And we were regularly paired. We had to work mm-hmm. on about 50% of my job was working very closely with this person. It's small staff. So I, I couldn't avoid this person. That's hard. Yeah. And um, I got depressed because I, I used to love my job and I, I hated half of it. But I noticed in the midst of my depression, really happy people all around me. And I got really curious, like, what are they doing? They must be doing something that I'm not doing. Mm-hmm. And then I got brave and I started asking them some questions. And it snowballed into a video project where I formally interviewed the happiest people that I personally know. And so I've got like many documentaries on my website, uh, fullheartliving.com. And that's what led me to write my book, Full Heart Living Conversations with the Happiest People mm-hmm. I Know. And so what qualified them as happy people to you? Like, how did you say, this is a happy person? What were the identifiers, I'll say? Here's the thing that I learned in doing this is that it's hard to tell. Harder than you might think. So for instance, several people I approached to interview seemed really happy to me. They seemed engaged. They asked people questions. They were alive, doing all kinds of things. And they would say, oh, no, you you have no idea, you know, what's going on below the surface. I'm not your person. You should talk to so-and-so. Interesting. I know. And then other people who appeared pretty unhappy to me, like complaining a lot, for instance, then like, I'm thinking of one person in particular who said to me one day, I am so happy. And I was like, you seem miserable. I didn't say this part out loud, but like, all you do is complain. How can you be happy? That is hilarious. I know. But then I realized when I thought about it, oh, this is the happiest that person has ever been. That the person's life had really changed. They were in a really unhappy relationship and they weren't anymore. You know, I, I did learn to not assume so much. That said, in general, I looked for people who, like I was starting to say, they seemed engaged. They were smiling a lot. They were doing a lot of activities. Some people came to me, some people heard I was doing this project and they self-selected and they said, I heard you doing this and I, I need to be included. And I said, okay, you do. But, but I did learn to, to dig deeper and to not assume. I'm listening to you and I'm reflecting on so many different things that I've observed about people and even myself, yeah. you know, we're socialized to put our best foot forward. You could, we could be drowning and mm-hmm. we're expected to tell the lie, put a smile on your face. Nobody wants to be around a negative Nancy, so to speak. 
Nancy gets such a bad rap, huh? Poor Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy and Ned. Whether we feel up or not, we put on that happy face yes, and we yes. go for it. And apparently lots of people are believing the lie. Exactly. It's so sad that we it's have so to tell the lie. Of course, we don't want to like air everything about our lives publicly all the time, but right. there should be space to just keep it real. Mm-hmm. When both of my parents died, mm-hmm. when each of them died separately, um, I remember thinking that I wish we had a cultural agreement like there used to be you wore black and everyone knew you're grieving and then people would give you your space some space or, or some extra you know uh, compassion yeah we don't have that in our culture i think we would be really served to bring stuff like that back oh that's so interesting yeah that's interesting to me on a lot of levels because when when my brother passed away a lot of people tried to be there for me, but I'm one of those people where I kind of just, I needed my space because they were trying to be there for me in ways that just wasn't the way. Mm-hmm. Like I remember one guy and he meant the best, but he said, I'm your brother now. Well, that was the worst thing you could say to me after losing my brother, but he meant mm-hmm. well. There's no class to teach us really. Well, maybe there are how <laughs> to be there for people who are yeah. grieving. Yeah, And we try. And I think sometimes we do okay. And sometimes, man, we are saying all the wrong things. Right. So what you just said made me think about that. We go through life through the eyes of who we are. Mm-hmm. And the job it really to be there for other people is to honestly kind of suspend who you are Correct. and try to connect with who they are, try to understand yeah. who they are yes. and then meet them at their point of need according to who they are. And that's a lot of work. And that's kind of hard. You're right. It's much more work. That's why we don't do it. Cause we're in a quick fix culture. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we don't have time to figure out what, what you need. Right. We got to get to work. We got, we got to do the laundry, get the kids to school. So I'm going to show up with flowers, whether you have allergies or not. Well, you found these happy people. Yes. If there were many different ways that yes. you shared. And what did you discover about happy people that is now expressed in your book, Full Heart Living? Conversations with the happiest people I know. What does that mean, full heart living? Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to do. Yeah, let's talk about that first. So here's one of the things I learned. Happier people aren't happy all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Happier people live with their whole heart. That's why Mm -hmm. I decided to call it that. So what does that mean? When grieving, for instance, since we were just talking about that, happier people don't pretend they're not grieving. They Uh allow themselves to grieve. They Mm -hmm. allow themselves to be sad. It's appropriate to be sad when we lose someone who we're really close to or a job. Like I I lost my dream job. I ended up quitting it. Eventually, I just couldn't stay. Mm -hmm. I had to feel sad to move on, right? Grief helps propel us to the next stage in our life. If we drink too much alcohol, if we just try to skim all over it, then we may be led down the wrong road. That makes so much sense. Thank you. Happy people deal with all of the things in life. And that's what causes them to go back to that happy place. And even when they're going through a difficult time, they're still in a happy place because they're allowing themselves to not deny it. Correct. And I guess we could then say that happy in the way we're talking about it is somewhat synonymous with 
whole or realistic? Yes, I I wish there were a different term. I use the term because it's the one that we no, use most it. commonly. I like that you call it happy. You do, okay. But happy means a lot of things, and that's what I'm right. trying to Correct. unpack a little bit for the audience. I think well, I'm I'm understanding what you mean by it. I'm just trying to share share more or prod people's thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. So to me, it's it's not just about being in a good mood all the time and, you know, getting massages all day. No, yeah. it's, it's like really being engaged in life, being in alignment with my purpose, finding meaning in my life, mm-hmm. having relationships that are meaningful, having purpose, you know, giving back. Uh, and that gets me to the other thing. So what did I learn? So there are, there are 20 chapters in the book. So there's all kinds of things that people do, like take really good care of their bodies, like living in alignment with their values, like being grateful. All of these are really important. The key top things though, for sure that I discovered are that happier people are in community. They connect with other people first and foremost, they have Mm -hmm. a tribe. They have people they love Mm -hmm. and who love them back. That is for sure. Number one. And everyone I talked to said that in a variety of ways. And that makes sense because when you're in community, you're not alone. And if you are having a rough time, there's people there to build you up. And then when they're down, you're there to build them up. And I get it. Exactly. Number two, happier people connect with themselves. So what does that mean? That means knowing who they are, honoring themselves, uh, their their rhythms, their uh, passions, as well as what we're commonly calling mindfulness. So they don't miss out on what's happening today. They're connected with themselves. They're in the moment. They're not so worried about what hasn't happened yet or, Mm -hmm. you know, perseverating over what happened before. They're in the here and now so they can appreciate what is happening right now. Uh, They're not missing out. And then connecting with their passions. Happier people have activities that they absolutely adore and they do a ton of them and they get in that flow that we mentioned earlier where they lose all sense of time. Yeah. And they do a lot of those things when these things all come together and they do them in service of others. So connecting with other people, connecting with self, connecting with passions, when we're also giving back, helping the world be a better place. Right. That's when it all comes together. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes me think when I do certain things, that's like my thing. I'm in my zone. Hours go by and I don't even realize that four or five hours have gone by. When I'm doing creative things like that. Exactly. um, And we are all creative. This is another thing. To be human is to create. We, We just tend to have a too narrow definition of that. So it doesn't necessarily have to mean oil painting right? Or music, though it can be. Some people, that's their deal. They paint or they make sculptures or they make music. But no, we can create, I'm imagining you do academic things, right? You might create a beautiful paper. It could, it could be a, a, a scholarly thing. It could, it could be creating a really good lecture for a class. Mm-hmm. It could be creating an amazing experience for your nieces or nephews or your grandchildren. It could be a meal, right? So, so just right. opening up facilitating a meeting really well that Mm -hmm. takes creativity yeah right people just don't acknowledge it or know that that's the creative part of themselves right it's so true 
I think I'm good at connecting those things as being creative because I, I studied theater when I was younger. And did you really? I did too. So what happens is I actually see myself as using what I've learned creatively in my job as a teacher, my job as whatever it is I'm doing, a professional development specialist or whatever the case may be. It's like, I feel like I'm borrowing from myself that is an an actor. Yes. Even though I'm being authentic in the moment, I have skills from acting that I can bring to that moment that will help me shine or be better at presenting. Totally. (laughs) Acting, good acting is being in the moment. Uh, Absolutely. Using the oratory skills or just the knowledge to project your voice a certain way. All of that. Totally. Totally. (laughs) That's wonderful. And I like that what you're teaching about happy people embodies the whole idea that you don't have to be up all the time. You're not talking about a Pollyanna experience. Not at all. You're talking about you're happy because you explore all of who you are, all of what you feel. And that's what helps you be happy and healthy. Less happy people are, they suppress their emotions. They, They don't want to feel sad. They try to avoid it. But what happens is our insides don't specify. They generalize. So if we're going to suppress our sadness or our guilt or our shame or whatever, any anything, anger, anything we might consider negative, we also squelch joy. There, There's a parallel. And you lash out. And that's yes. why you're negative Nancy or you're cr- overly critical or you're whatever. <laughs> yes. It comes out one way or another. Exactly. If you don't allow yourself to feel yes. it and deal with it, it's going to come out in some kind of way. Or you might like, get I sick. get grumpy yeah. sometimes. And when I see that I'm getting grumpy, I actually say to myself, okay, what is going on with you? Because you are not showing up in the world the way you're even used to yourself being <laughs> or what you want to be. I'm good at locating myself. I, I think, you know, through studying different things and being aware of even emotional intelligence, I think that's part of what it is. I'm emotionally intelligent and it it applies to not just the way I view other people, but the way I'm able to locate myself. I give people what I call fair warning. I'll say, you know what? Today is not the day. I'm having a moment and I have to deal with it. I have to get through it. And this is not the time, but not everybody can even notice when now is not the time for them and give that fair warning. Take self-awareness and then (laughs) then that, that's a vulnerable statement to say, hey, I'm not in the best place right now. It takes courage. And so that's a lot of what I'm teaching, in, especially mm-hmm. in psychotherapy. Like you're saying, right, the self-awareness first. So notice it. Mm-hmm. And then how do I find a way to speak it aloud so that I do less harm? Right. I love that. So I do less harm. I know when I'm in a place, I mean, I think I'm a fairly good person, but I know when I'm in a space where this fairly good person could do harm. So I'm right. trying to tell of you. Of course. <laughs> we, we all have all the human potentials in all of us. Yeah. My code word with my family is you are gnawing on my last nerve. That's what I'm <laughs> You're gnawing on my last nerve. And that everybody knows. Oh, okay. You are gnawing on my last nerve. <laughs> 
If you've got to the last one, we know we're about to be in trouble. So <laughs> very good. As long as we have a way to message, like some people might feel like, who are you to tell someone like that? But I'm actually doing you a favor. Yeah, exactly. If you don't want my worst self to show up, Right. When you thought you were talking to my best self, I'm trying to tell you that yeah. person is not here right now. Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> just put it on hold and we'll come back yeah. to this tomorrow or in a few hours when I yeah. had a bite to eat or a nap or something. You said in a previous conversation that it takes authenticity to lift others up. And we experience resonance when someone is authentic. Tell us more. So yeah, when I am in alignment, so when, when I am doing things that I feel like I'm supposed to do, like, like I just believe psychotherapy is one of the reasons I was put on the planet at this time. Like I just have kind of a knack for it. I feel it again. It's not an egotistical thing. It's just like, I feel it when I'm doing that work. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is one of the reasons I'm here. So that's authentic. Authentic. When I show up that way, we were saying a minute ago, like it, my best self shows up. This this stuff comes out of me that I've never planned. I would never thought about. That's authentic me. That's being in alignment. That's me showing up in a way that it works for me because I like doing it. Yeah, and it works for other people. It helps other people when it's a good fit. Now, if it's, if I'm not a good, like you were saying earlier, you it took you a while to find the right therapist right? There's, there's a fit that has to be there, but when Mm -hmm. that fit is there, look out magic's going to happen. So that's an example of that authentic. I'm being me. You're showing up. The client is showing up in their authentic self. They're being vulnerable. They're being true. They're Mm -hmm. taking a little bit of risk and magic happens and and we, and and resonance. So, so if I'm in that state, it invites the client to be in that state Mm -hmm. and, and vice versa. When, when, it, when the client gets vulnerable and says something that's really hard and, and reveals something to them, like my heart just melts, right? I just go, oh, my compassion just opens up. My heart opens up. Like I just feel with them and uh, we're just in it together. We're in the mess yeah. or in the thick of it together. And again, magic happens. It's not just that we stay in the, in the thick mm-hmm. or in the, in the, in the weeds and the mess eventually the lotus flower emerges from that mud mm-hmm. and, and we see things together in a new way and the client discovers something new and a new option emerges. And I feel uplifted because I've been a tiny little part of it and I've witnessed mm-hmm. it and we've, we've had this unique journey together that no one else. I like the way you explained it. We see something new together. I like that. It's two people engaging. And that, that can only happen when there's a true conversation taking place where there's active listening and engagement and sharing candidly. That's just great communication, actually. And I, I know you noticed, or, I mean, you mentioned earlier the feedback loop. Yes. It's, the, it's, the, it's reciprocal. It's giving and taking. It's totally. responding and listening carefully. Listening is part of responding. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Huge. And wow. it's a big part of full heart living, Pamela, may I say too. So in addition to the book, I came up with this product, Full Heart Living Conversation Sparks. Mm. And that's it, essentially, it's a relationship building game, but it's huh. really about listening. 
And so wow. it's, it's a bunch of conversation starters or prompts, just one sentence uh, statements or questions. And it's about how do you listen and respond in a way that connects people together? It's listening. So I love that you highlighted that. Oh, wow. Yes. I'm, I love that I mentioned it too. So now we know that there's a game that we can give a try (laughs) to help us improve in these ways. Well, it sounds like we could talk forever, but we are coming to the end of our, our conversation today. And I just, there's one question that I ask every single guest and it's what one or which one final gem can you leave with our audience today? The single most important idea, if they forget everything else we said today, you want, you want them to hold on to this one thing. Oh my gosh. I would say go have a moment with someone you adore. Maybe it's your grandchild or your niece or nephew or your partner or your neighbor and have a moment and really listen, do what we've been talking about. Listen to the other person, look them deeply in the eye. Imagine what they're saying from their perspective Hmm. and, and give them some feedback, letting you know, you heard them. By repeating that's back that's what you heard tip. them say. And that's an easy first step. Yes. Go to someone you already interact with regularly, and you can go to your next level best by becoming a better listener and letting them know, I heard you. Exactly. And, and respond from a place of putting yourself in their shoes and responding and showing up according to what they need kind of putting yourself aside. That's a beautiful gift and a beautiful way to uh, end this episode. So that's the one final gym question that I ask everybody. But the real last question is share any information that you would like to share about how my audience might contact you, get your books, your game, et cetera. We're going to put it in the show notes, but this is your verbal shout out, I'll say. Sure. The easiest way is fullheartliving.com. There are links to the book and the game, uh, links to those videos that I mentioned, the initial documentaries. There's also a calendar on my website with some classes I've got that are coming up. Being a highly sensitive person on resilience building and my tree, that mindful self-compassion. I've got classes for all those coming up uh, this summer and fall. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Tom, for being a guest. Pleasure. I really appreciate you. And I'm so happy that you uh, shared with us today. Thank you. So full heart living, uh, your observations of happy people and discovering that it's because they're exploring their whole heart. (laughs) You got it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Well, friends, Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.